Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. Well, here we go again. We talked about this yesterday. Some scary moments for folks in Hawaii on Saturday. Well, here we go again. Scary moments for some people in Japan today. This from Associated Press reporter uh, Charles Ledesma. The false alarm in Japan came two days after Hawaii's emergency management department sent a mistaken warning of a North Korean missile attack to mobile phones across the state, triggering panic. This time, Japan's NHK television soon deleted its tweet, issued a correction, and apologized several times. It said a mistake in using the alert system had caused the error. So similar to what happened in Hawaii... Now, it sounds as though as a result of this, in Hawaii anyway, they're going to change how this all works. It's about as bad a system as you can possibly imagine, where it's the whim of one person who's choosing two options from a pull-down menu. One is a real alert. One is the just-a-test alert. So now it's going to take two people to send that out. Uh, So it sounds like something similar happened in Japan. But look, this is something that we do need to address, unfortunately. The prospect of North Korea lobbing a missile at Japan or Hawaii or even the mainland U.S., if indeed they're capable of it, is not a far-fetched possibility. So it is something we need to be aware of. And there needs to be some planning in place so people know what to do if, in fact, that happens. You know, as we talked about yesterday, it doesn't necessarily mean instant incineration. And it's possible that even if you're in Hawaii, outside the direct impact zone of the missile, that you can survive if you know what to do. So this does matter. But I think the problem here is now people are just growing increasingly cynical about all of this. You can only cry wolf so many times, as we all know. Uh, joining us on the line uh, with some further thoughts uh, on all of this is someone who was, in fact, in Hawaii on the weekend, so went through all of this himself, Matthew Fisher, a uh, longtime uh, foreign correspondent, in fact, Canada's longest-serving foreign correspondent. Matthew, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Uh, thank you for having me back. Uh, what do you make of the fact that we're talking about this again here today, this time it's Japan? Well, I can tell you from having been in Japan when uh, North Korea's actually fired missiles over parts of japan and the alerts come on television that the japanese public take these things extremely seriously and you know that uh, because they get tsunamis and because they get earthquakes and have warnings they have preparations they're far more prepared than canadians are for example uh, for dire situations just about every chinese person has food stocks water stock for a couple of weeks uh, in their very small homes and they go through these drills a lot. In Canada, when I was a kid, and some of your audience will be as old as I am, they will remember from the 1950s and 1960s that we used to go through drills in which we would go under uh, our desktops at school uh, and uh, cover our uh, eyes and our ears. Uh, That, of course, wouldn't have helped if we were at ground zero, but it might have helped a little bit. 
uh, if, uh, as you say, uh, the uh, missile that was coming in uh, blew up 20 or 30 or 50 or 100 kilometers away. And that was the thing in Hawaii. People did not know what to do. Nobody that I saw knew what to do. And I was very close to what would have been ground zero. I was at the Honolulu airport. And that's only a, a couple of kilometers away from uh, uh, Pearl Harbor, uh, which, of course, was the scene in 1941 of a sneak attack. Right. And uh, it's where a U.S. nuclear submarine fleet is based. There's also a huge Air Force base beside uh, uh, Pearl Harbor, Wickham Air Force Base, also hit in 1941, where the U.S. has a lot of its air assets for the Pacific. So it certainly, if anybody wanted to attack the United States, uh, it would have been ground zero uh, just where I was. Uh, and uh, I was a bit blasé about it, I've got to say, but all kinds of people around me were not. I thought it was probably false, and if it wasn't, it was over because I was so close to ground zero, and so no point worrying about it. But others were panicked, and people were phoning home and, and, and crying and saying goodbye to their children on the mainland, for example, uh, Canadians in particular. And the question for Canadians, and you posed it at the beginning, is what do Canadians do uh, if there is uh, uh, such an attack? And I don't think Canadians even know how they'd receive alerts, let alone what they might do to mitigate the effects of an attack if they weren't exactly at ground zero. And in provinces like Alberta, there are some really rich targets for anybody if it came to nuclear war. There are places, all those oil refineries around Edmonton, uh, some of the oil fields, some of the infrastructure that keeps Canada moving would probably be attacked. And, uh, and yet I don't think Canadians have been thinking a lot about this. And if the government has been, they haven't been telling us that. And I don't mean just this liberal government we have today. I mean governments going back the last 20 or 30 years. Yeah, that's an important point because an alert's not going to do you much good if you don't know what to do, if you don't know what the drill is, what the emergency response is, that all it does really, as we saw in, in, in many cases in Hawaii, just it causes panic. And, oh, and there can be panic. Uh, and the first question people have is, how can I contact my loved ones? But almost immediately it is, well, what can I do to save myself? And at the Honolulu airport, it was most disconcerting because the people responsible for the safety of people at the airport are the Trans uh, Transportation Security Agency, the TSA in the United States. And when the alarm went out, those folks all headed off to what they said were shelters, but they didn't take a single passenger with them. In fact, they didn't answer my questions about what we were supposed to do or the questions of other passengers in the terminal. The first instinct of those who were supposed to keep us safe was to make themselves safe and do nothing about other passengers. Yeah, and that's not good. That's not good. So certainly this exposes a lot of weaknesses uh, in, in our emergency alert protocols, clearly in Hawaii, and I'm sure it's the case elsewhere. It, it does. And what I hope uh, this causes Canadians to do is to ask the question, what alerts are in place? Uh, are there safeguards in case of a false uh, alarm, as this one was in Hawaii on Saturday and the one in Japan was today? And, and then what we're supposed to do, and of course the best place to start would be in our schools, which is what they did at the height of the Cold War in the late 50s, early 60s, when there was the Cuban Missile Crisis, and when we thought these things were quite serious. I remember back in the Cuban Missile Crisis, my father having a, a serious conversation with his sons about 
there, there could be a nuclear war and the devastating consequences of that. I still recall that today, even though I was very young at the time. It really made an impression on me. I suspect not too many Canadian parents have had that conversation with their kids today. And with all this nuclear talk, particularly the boasts and slurs that Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un are throwing at each other, it would seem to me this is the time for us to be considering such questions uh, in a world where uh, Pakistan has nuclear weapons, Iran wants nuclear weapons that it can throw, that it can uh, shoot, and uh, of course Korea is not only developing nuclear weapons but the means through missiles to deliver them far away. We don't know where they're at exactly, but we do know that, that it is a leading goal of that government. So it's a, in fact a much more dangerous world than it was during the Cold War where mutual assured destruction between Russia and China gave us some safety that neither of them would be bad enough to do this. But with seven or eight or nine nuclear players today, uh, the odds for an accident or for something real that is not an accident are far greater than they were back then. And we seem, as the Americans were in 1941 uh, with Pearl Harbor, to be asleep at the switch. Yeah, unfortunately so. Well, Matthew, we'll leave it there. Uh, people can read your thoughts. Uh, there's a piece up at cgai.ca. That's the Canadian Global Affairs Institute. Thanks so much for making some time for us here today. Really appreciate this. Thank you, and goodbye from Hawaii. I'm on Maui now, and it is absolutely beautiful. <laughs> I'm sure it is. Uh, Matthew, I'm very jealous. Thanks again. All the best. All Bye-bye. right, you too. Yeah. You know, sure, there was some scary moments on Saturday, but uh, all things considered, I'd probably rather be there this week. But uh, anyway, that's okay. Uh, there you go. Matthew Fisher, a uh, long-serving foreign correspondent. He's a fellow with the Canadian Global Affairs Institute. So, yeah, as he says, I mean, this does help illustrate the potential seriousness of this. You know, the joking around and saying silly things on Twitter, that's not helpful. He said Saturday's false alarm could actually be a godsend if it makes Kim and Trump think about where their nuclear brinksmanship could lead. Um, interestingly enough, this is a topic of consider- uh, conversation rather, and consideration in Vancouver today. Canada and the U.S. hosting a gathering of foreign ministers uh, to discuss the North Korean threat. Foreign Affairs Minister Christia Friedland was pretty clear that pursuing nuclear weapons for North Korea will bring neither security nor prosperity and will only lead to a firmer response. The states represented at this meeting harbor no hostility to North Korea. On the contrary, we seek neither a regime change nor a collapse. We are working to resolve this crisis and are aiming for what is in our collective best interests, a decision by the North Korean regime to verifiably abandon all of its weapons of mass destruction will contribute to North Korea's security and economic development, leading to a better, brighter, safer, and more prosperous future for the North Korean people. All right, that's our foreign affairs minister. This is U.S. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson. Says the threat for North Korea and even their missile test is very real. Pointed out today at this meeting in Vancouver that one missile test actually came within range of 10 passenger planes that were in the air at the time. North Korea's willingness to launch missiles at any time presents a threat to people of all nationalities in the region's airspace each day. Based on its past recklessness, we cannot expect North Korea to have any regard for what might get in the way of one of its missiles or part of a missile breaking apart. This is to say nothing of potential technological errors associated with a launch that could result in disaster. 
The regime has shown a recklessness among the nations of the world. Based on its actions now, we can see what North Korea may very well do later if it obtains complete nuclear and missile delivery capabilities. All right, so that's uh, U.S. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, Japan's foreign minister at this meeting, as is uh, the U.K. foreign minister. Uh, so some pretty high-level talks, and uh, Canada's uh, at the table, and in fact, Canada playing host. 403-974-8255 is our number. Uh, when we come back, interesting developments in Edmonton, where a uh, speech by a, a controversial University of Toronto professor has been cancelled amid controversy. Echoes of the naked swimming debate last week in Calgary. We'll tell you more about that in a few minutes. Stay with us. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.